0: Welcome to the Gathering Church. I hear a few people that want to clap for me. I heard that. I accept it. I receive it. I like you the most. Thank you so much. Or you're just clapping because that was a really cool bumper video. I'll I'll, I'll choose the latter to believe. Yeah, My name is Robbie Denson. Like Pastor John Mark said, I'm the executive pastor here at the Gathering Church, and I'm just real uh, honored to have the opportunity to speak and share with you this morning. I want to take a second to just welcome all of you joining us on the World Wide Web. We're just so glad you're with us at home while we're out here in this beautiful Asheville weather. Just thank you so much for spending your morning with us. I've got to tell you, I think that this is going to be a good, good series. I've had the opportunity with my job, and the way it works, I Meet with a lot of people, and I just get to hang out with a lot of people throughout the week. And every meeting I've had the last three weeks, uh, that person has told me that they are excited about uh, my big fat mouth series. And for a couple of different reasons, some said they're just excited to see uh, two guys who have a big fat mouth try to talk to other people about having a big fat <laughs> mouth, and so that's fun. And then I've met with a few people who've said, you know, Robbie, I know that I have a big fat mouth. I know that my mouth gets me into trouble, so. I I therefore am not excited about this series, and I'm just saying thank you for being here still. We're really glad. We're really excited. I think we're going to have some fun over the next couple of weeks, but I also think we're going to be awfully challenged. I think there's going to be some conviction, and honestly, uh, what, I, what I like to believe and choose to believe is that with conviction comes an opportunity for change. With conviction comes an opportunity for, for growth, and so I want to share a quick truth before I get started, something that is just universal, right? And, and, and here's one of the things about this, this series, and, and, and I know that I don't want to believe that everybody in here is a follower of Jesus. We understand that maybe you're here today, and you're just checking this thing out. Well, I believe that a lot of what we're talking about today is just a universal truth, and so uh, I, we really do mean you can belong before you believe here. Just take what we say today, apply it to your life the way you want, right? And we're talking about some biblical principles, but just apply these principles and just see, see what happens in your heart and in your mind over the next couple of weeks and months as you begin to implement them. But, but I believe that our mouths carry a ton of potential. Our words carry so much weight. They have power. Our words have the power to give life, They also have the power to take life. I I can't count the amount of people I've run into and talked to who tell me they feel burdened and they feel imprisoned by that which was spoken to them in their past, by a parent who abused uh, the, the, the privilege it is to raise kids and spoke something over them negative that they still believe about themselves. Our words have the power to set people free, but they also have the power to bind people up. And this series is important because we have to get this right. We have to get this right. Jesus tells us this. He says, out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. So what that means is that which is in us will come out by the way we communicate, by the way we speak, by the things we say. And we're going to kick off this series the right way, get right into it. Our topic this morning is complaining. Complaining complaining. It's funny. I, I was, we were doing our run through this morning and the team knows what we're talking about. And I, I'm wearing this microphone that I've chosen to like, but I was just up here whining about how much I don't like it. And Pastor John Mark was over there and he said, Robbie, stop complaining. You got to talk about it in a few minutes. Like, oh man, you're right. But complaining is just a natural part of our lives. But I wonder if it has to be. I wonder if it has to be something that we just accept, that we just learn to navigate through. I was talking to my wife a couple of weeks about my schedule, and I had been doing actually some traveling lately just for different reasons, and I was in Charleston Tuesday, and I was speaking somewhere, and that was, that was fun, and I'm going to Guatemala with a team on Tuesday, and I'm preaching today, and she was asking me about it, and well, she said, well, you know, let me ask you about speaking at the gathering. What's that all about? And I told her, I said, I'm, I'm talking about complaining, and everything about her demeanor changed. She, she, she looked at me uh, and, and with a face that you don't have to use your mouth to communicate because uh, what she was saying to me with her face is, I want to ask you a question and you better answer this question right. And what she said was, Robbie, do you plan on using me as an example? I said, girl, do you think I'm crazy? Do you think I'm, uh, listen, I know that I'm not the smartest man alive and I'm not the dumbest man alive either. If you know Chelsea and I, we know that we love, we love to pick on each other. We love to have fun. And, and so her asking that question, I totally get it. Like, good thing that she asked that question. I had a few examples I had to get rid of today <laughs> and this message. No, no, I'm kidding. I, I say all that to say, and I, I told the first services too, Chelsea, this message is not for you. You're doing great. The rest of you, you need to work on this. The, re- the rest of us, we need to work on this. But Chelsea's doing just fine. So I'm kidding. I'm not kidding we'll talk later, (laughs) she said. (laughs) So when I look at scripture and I try to navigate this idea of complaining, the most clear picture of complaining that I can see is, is found in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. Israel has, at the time we're talking about this morning, has been in captivity as slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. And at this point in their history, we can see in scripture that the Israelites were not happy with God. They were outright angry and confused, and rightfully so. Here we have the chosen people of God, the people who've been set apart by God for uniqueness, for something special. Jesus was coming through this line, but yet they look at their nation and they think, well, why are we slaves if we're your chosen people? And so what did they do? They complained, and they whined, and they they griped, and you could argue that it was justified. I mean, I know for me, looking at this, I, would, I wouldn't want to be a slave, especially if I, w- I knew I was God's chosen people. I wouldn't want to be a slave to another person or another nation, but what I want to do this morning is I want to look at what God did. In his timing, God brought Israel out of Egypt, but it's not just about what God did. It's about how he did it. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, he did it in a way that only God could. He performed miracle after miracle, and the entire people of Israel got to watch as God just displayed his wonder. They got to see with their own eyes and experience with their own bodies the the, the miracles that God was performing on their behalf. On one occasion, Moses was sent by God to ask Pharaoh to free the Israelites from Egypt. And Pharaoh was stubborn. He declined God's request. And God sent 10 plagues to go to let Pharaoh know, hey, I mean, I mean business. I'm giving you an opportunity to see my power, to see my strength, and also to experience my grace. Let my people go. And Pharaoh rejects, and so God moves on to, to what's next. And, and so the people of Israel actually decide to, to, to leave Egypt, and they head out. And they find themselves in yet another unlikely circumstance. They're trapped between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea, and they feel like all hope is lost, and God shows up again for them, and he parts the Red Sea. They walk through, and as the army's coming through, the Red Sea actually comes back together. The army is swept away. And that's all Israel is looking towards is what we know from Scripture as the promised land. So Israel is heading into the promised land, the land of Canaan. And as they're traveling to Canaan, they get hungry and they start to complain about not having food. And so what does God do? Literally, bread comes from heaven. Bread falls from heaven so that they can have sustenance. And after seeing God do all of this, what did Israel do? when moving into their purpose and the place God had for them got difficult, they went back to doing what brought them comfort. Isn't that weird sometimes that when we're uncomfortable for for just a fleeting moment of comfort, what do we do? We complain about it because it feels good to voice our disdain. It feels good to voice our frustrations for a moment. So that's what Israel did. They started complaining. They whined and, and they griped. And, and I was reading through the story of Exodus this week, and it, it reminded me of my seven-year-old. I have a seven-year-old who's just a unique kid. His name is Makai, and man, he lives in his own world, and I'm just a kind of a small piece of it. And when, when Makai's focused, and he loves to do Legos, he, lo- he loves to, to color, he loves to draw, he's got a journal that he writes in, and We'll be hanging out all day, kind of a chill day at the house, and, you know, he doesn't want to wear clothes. Who wants to wear clothes? He's got these awesome pair of whitey tighties, and he's just <laughs> rocking and rolling in these whitey tighties, and, and it's like 2.30 in the afternoon, and I'm like, hey, Makai, do you want to maybe put some, put some clothes on? And he'll look at me, and, and, and the look he gives me is terrifying, and he'll ask me a question, and it's really in quite an accusatory way. He'll look at me, and he'll say, Dad, do you not want me to have any fun? You. Dad, do you want to ruin my day? You, you, just, you just want me to be bored? Is that what you want to do? I'll just say, "Mackay, man, look, I want you to have fun. I just want you to have some pants on, you know? Like, what's the problem here? Like, I'm normal. You're not. Like, let's let, let's get started with our day, buddy. I can't help but think about moments in my life where where things are going well, but they but, but I'm, I'm kind of cut off from what I think is the kind of direction I'm going in. Man, complaining comes so easily to us, doesn't it? Listen to what Israel says to Moses in Exodus chapter 14, verse 11. And keep in mind, this is after seeing God free them from Egypt the way he did. In Exodus chapter 14, it says, "'Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? We were so happy when we were slaves.'" It's easy how we forget misery, right? It's easy how we forget how things were. They say, we were happy when we were slaves. But now you've brought us out out there. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians and then die in the desert. How many of us sound like Israel? And, And before you answer, think. Because I know for me, I'm asking myself some questions this week because really this series is going to require an extra step of self-awareness. I've had to become more self-aware this week. I can't just say, no, I'm doing all right. No, I'm on the right path. Because if I really dig deep, the truth is there are seasons where I sound like Israel. What would happen if you dug a little deeper, become a little bit more self-aware? We're all going to have to do that several times in this series. Because if I dig a little deeper, what I'll find is that oftentimes when I'm discontent with the season that I find myself in, which I believe oftentimes is the season God has me in for a reason, when I get discontent in that season, it leads me to complain, to complain. And so I want to pose a question because I want to make sure that we're all listening to today's message through the lens of our own complaining. It's easy to to sit through a message like today and associate every application with the person sitting to the right or to the left of us. But I'm convinced that today's message is for you. It's for me. It's for the people in your life too. But we have to understand that the only person in your life you can really control is you. And so here's what I want to ask. What in your life do you complain about the most? What do you complain about the most? Take a second and really think about it. Be real honest with yourself and just let it it kind of rise to the surface. You know, I'd say for me, and I've had to do that. I've had to to do some journaling, some processing. You know, I know for me, I can find myself complaining. If I I step back and if I have a moment just kind of think and look at my life, I can find myself feeling really spread out. If I, as I look at the scope of my life and things that are going on at home and with, and with work and just kind of the future and dreaming, sometimes I can look at it and I can just feel so spread out, so thin. And what happens is I feel so busy that I feel like I'm not getting anything done. And honestly, I just complain about it. I just find myself and I forget, I forget that I have the best job in the world. And I have a buddy of mine who, who's one of my rocks. He's one of my mentors. And I'll call him sometimes and I'll say, hey man, here's what we got going on. And you know, I just, I'm thinking about it and he'll, he'll stop me and he'll say, Robbie, the way that you're talking to me, I, I just need to remind you that God is real <laughs> and that God puts you in Asheville for a reason. And it's just the, the shakeup I need. But that, that's, if I just get honest with myself and we just, we, I love the gathering because we preach from a, from a place of vulnerability so often, but that's where I'm at. I can find myself feeling spread thin and I find myself complaining. So I've really had to preach to myself this week. I've really, I've really had to deal with my own convictions this week. And, and so for you, what, what, is, what is it that you think that you complain about the most? For some of us, maybe, maybe you complain about how tight the budget is, right? How, how there's not wiggle room in the budget for fun. How we look at social media and it seems like everyone around us can afford a trip. Everyone around us is doing things that we want to be doing, but yet we look at our finances and the money's just not... There, and we complain about it, and we, we get frustrated over it. Maybe for you, it's your job as a whole. Maybe your boss is, your boss is a jerk, or you don't feel fulfilled by, by what you do, and it leads you to live in a place of negativity. It could be that you complain about not being in a relationship or wondering if you ever will be in a relationship, and when someone else finds that happiness or, or that thing which they look for, our complaining really ramps up. It could be smaller things. The weather is bad. The the Wi-Fi is slow. There's no good shows on Netflix. Maybe you just have a kind of a negative vibe, right? Like just just whether it's big or small, you have the unique gift to complain about something. It's a kind of a spirit of complaining that you've just developed. I want to talk about that in a little bit. And so before I do that, I want to just go ahead and throw it out there this morning and, and just hope that you'll understand this that the problem is not the weather. The problem is not trafficking. And I would go as far as to say the problem is not the season of life which we sometimes find ourselves in. The problem is that we've taken our eyes off the goodness of God and we've placed them dead center on ourselves. That this, that this problem of putting me in the middle of my life, right, not living for Jesus, but putting me in the center of everything, what it happens is it leads to a constant curse of complaining because when I become the main thing in my story, finding joy becomes impossible. And here's the danger with this. Here's the danger. Hear me now. Complaining leads to action. Complaining leads to action. What unwise or even dangerous actions are you setting yourself up to take by the way you complain? What future decisions are you, you don't even know that you're going to make them, but you're on the trajectory to make these unwise and dangerous decisions because of the way that you complain to yourself and to the people around you? Let me me just kind of paint a picture. Is is your feelings towards work causing you to become less of an employee? Right, I'm not going to give it my all because I don't feel like I'm compensated well. I don't feel like this is is my purpose, so I'm going to become less of an employee. Is your relational discontentment leading you to lower the standards that you have for yourself and the person you eventually see yourself with? Complaining leads to action. Is your frustration with your spouse leading you to someone at work who just gets you? Someone at work who just understands, who sits at the table and gives you a voice? Our words turn into actions. Our complaining oftentimes turn into actions. Our words are so powerful. And so, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at something the Apostle Paul writes. Now, if there's anyone who's earned the right to complain, if there's anyone who's earned the right to be frustrated and to voice that frustration to God and to the people around them, it's Paul. Paul was on a mission to bring the church and the gospel to the ends of the earth. In fact, he wanted to bring the gospel to Rome because he knew that from Rome, from the most influential city in the world where where trade was coming in and trade was coming out, he knew if he could get to Rome and he could bring Jesus to Rome From there, the gospel could spread to the ends of the earth. So he wanted to preach the gospel in Rome. And instead of making it to Rome as a preacher, he made it to Rome as a prisoner. He was imprisoned for two years. He was taken to Rome. And and to his knowledge, Paul is in prison in Rome awaiting his execution. Now, if I had been Paul, and I'll just speak for myself, I won't speak for you, I don't know that I would have handled it very well. I'm not a tough guy. I like food. I like my luxuries. I like my sweatpants. I don't like being stuck in one place. I don't like being in prison. I don't like being told what to do. I don't know that I would have viewed my life the way that Paul did. I would have been so upset with God. God, all I wanted to do was serve you. You, you called me into ministry, but here I am in prison. Look what you've done. I would have found it very difficult to pull myself out of a complaining Mindset. And instead of complaining and instead of whining and, 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 and telling God how he got it wrong, Paul spends some time writing a letter to the Christians in Philippi. Pa- Paul's dealing with some really unpleasant circumstances, but he's thinking about others. And I want to show you what he writes. In Philippians chapter 2, he says this. He says to, to the Christians in Philippi, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. This is, this is interesting, right? Because if you read it for what it is, it's like, okay, don't, don't whine, don't complain. But if you read it with the context of where Paul's at while he's writing it, you think, wow, this guy's sitting in prison. And while he's in prison, he's telling me not to complain. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Whatever you do, wherever you are, do all of it without complaining. Why, why does Paul set the standard so high? Why why does Paul encourage us to do less complaining and really no complaining, no grumbling? And some of the reasons Paul encourages us to do this are spiritual, and some are just very, very practical. I read a book this week, actually, uh, by Dr. Dr. Travis Bradbury called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. It's a great book. I would encourage you to read it. If you listen to books like I do and then tell people you read books, it's four hours on audiobook. Read it. Tell, you don't have to tell people that you, re- that you listen to it. Just whatever. They judge you when you tell them that. But you know what? I read more books than them. Dr. Bradbury has, has done a lot of research on the idea of complaining and what it does to us. And what he says is that repeated complaining hardwires our brain to do what? More complaining. In other words, the more negative you are, the more likely you are to be triggered to stay negative. He goes on to talk about this idea of confirmation bias. In other words, you expect something bad to happen, therefore you get what you expect. You know, we can get to a a place where it becomes easier to be negative than it is to be positive. A couple of weeks ago, we were, I was hanging out outside with our greeters, and people were kind of rolling into service, and a group of people came, and there was one individual who just looked like he had not had a good morning. And you know what? This is a place where you can come and not have had a good morning. But he runs into one of our greeters, Penny, and she just looks at the whole family and says, hey, we're so glad you're at the gathering today. It's a good morning. And without skipping a beat, this guy looks at her and says, there are no good mornings. Like, oh, no, he didn't. And I thought about coming in and helping going to bat for one of my greeters, but Penny looked right at him, and she was about to stand up, I felt like, and she said, hey, listen, you just wait till that music starts. I thought, oh, Penny, Penny's Penny's tough. But here's here's my point. I got a feeling he didn't have a great morning at the gathering church. We can get to a place where we wake up, we look at our schedule, we look at our to-do list, and there's no positive outcome available to us because we've gotten ourselves into a place where we live negatively where complaining becomes a natural part of our story. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to go through life seeing only the bad in it. That's too easy to see. There's too much available to us to look at and be worried about and frustrated about. We just have to turn on our, our TVs to see that. I want to train my mind to find that which is good. Because when difficulty strikes, strikes I know for me, I want to find Hope rather than hopelessness. And you know what else? When difficulty strikes me, I wanna be surrounded by people who can lead me to hope rather than hopelessness. We gotta get this right. We've gotta get this right, but how do we get it right? I wanna look at two big ideas this morning that I think we can learn from the life of Paul. The first is this. If you can change your circumstances, do something about it. If you can change your circumstances, in other words, we don't have to go through life just accepting things as they are. And so make sure you hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that the job you hate should become the job you love. That's, that's not really what I'm communicating this morning. We need to shift our thinking from, I don't find joy in my job, therefore I am miserable, to, I don't, I don't find joy in my job, so God has something else for me. Maybe, maybe there's something different. Maybe there's something better. We've got to switch our mindset, and this is crucial. We've got to get it right. I'm not happy in my marriage is there a way out? Two, I'm not happy in my marriage. God, what's going on? Is it, it, do I need to dig? Do I need to look at some character defects? God, I'm not happy, but God, is there something I can do about it? We've got to change the way we think about this. Do something about it if you can. The second thing is this. If you can't change your circumstances, then change your perspective. If you can do something, by all means, do something. But if you can't, then the only healthy option that you have is to change your perspective. Change the way you talk about it. Change the way you think about it. Change the way that you talk to yourself about it. And you know, listen to what Paul writes to the church in Philippi while he's imprisoned in Rome. Remember, his dream is to, to make it to Rome as a preacher, but he made it as a prisoner. He's not preaching the gospel in Rome. He's a prisoner in Rome. Listen to Philippians chapter 2. He says, but even if... Even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. What is Paul talking about when when he says drink offering? The, the, The Philippians who he was writing to, they knew exactly what he meant. What would happen is priests, what they would do is they would sacrifice an animal, a lamb or or some kind of animal, and they would put it on a a burning altar for it to burn. And the sacrifice would come. They would take a liquid, the, the most expensive they could find. Often it was honey or some form of wine, and they would pour that liquid as a drink offering onto the sacrifice. And what happens when you pour liquid onto something hot? steam rises and that steam was an act of worship it was a physical display that people would put that the israelites would put on to say god we worship you and it was just a physical manifestation of their worship and what paul is saying here he recognizes that this may be the last days of my life and i'm choosing to see them as a form of worship if i'm being poured out as a drink offering i'm going to go down worshiping paul could have been angry at god he could have told the Philippians to watch their backs, right? Because following God may end you up in prison. But instead, he saw what was happening to him through a lens of worship. He knew that God was still present. And this is so huge. He knew that God was still present amidst his difficulty. How was Paul able to do this? How was he able to shift his perspective from complaining to rejoicing? Paul refused to allow himself to be the center of his story. Paul made Jesus the center. And because Jesus was the center of his story, Paul was able to take negative circumstances and see what good could have come out of it. That's why he was able to say this in in the first chapter of Philippians. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard And to everyone else, that I am in chains for Christ. What is Paul talking about when he says, Listen, this is actually not such a bad thing. I've learned that the movement of Jesus is happening, and how? He says, The whole palace guard knows that I am in chains for Christ. Paul was in prison, and 24 hours a day, he was chained to a guard. Every day that Paul was in prison, he was chained to a Roman guard. They would switch out shift for shift. There was a night shift, a morning shift, an evening shift. And every single day, a new guard was assigned to him. Paul saw that as a new audience to share the gospel with every single day. Paul wants the Philippians to understand that his dreams had come true, that he was not a prisoner in Rome. In fact, he was a preacher in Rome. Just didn't look the way he thought it was. It just didn't come about the way he thought it would or thought it should or thought it might. When Jesus is the center of our life, our perspective shifts. He wasn't able to change his circumstances, so what did he do? He shifted his perspective. He shifted his perspective because he wasn't in the center of his own life. And when we're in the center, when we look around, that's all we see is what's hurting me and how God's not for me. But if we step out of the center, we can see that God's got a way that God's got a path that we can look to him and we can walk towards him because he is in the center. And I don't don't know who this is speaking to today, but if if you find yourself in a season you don't like, you need to know that God has a purpose for it. He has something for you to learn. Paul was chained to a prisoner for 24 hours a day. Let me ask you a question. What are you chained to? What are you chained to? Is it a job? Maybe you don't feel satisfied with your current position or you're struggling to find purpose in your field of work. Maybe, maybe it's a relational issue you feel chained to. It could be that your marriage is struggling and it's just easier, right, to complain about it than to dig into the mess and get to the root of the problem. It's just easier if I just, I, I, I can't do anything to get the chain off and so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna live this life and complain about this life. Maybe it's a lack of relationship that you feel chained to. You know what likes to chain itself to us? Loneliness. The enemy loves to make us feel like we're the only ones going through life the way we have to go through And people don't understand. They don't get it. And we get chained to loneliness. Finances chain us. And they keep us from our potential. It could be health that has you in chains. I have a friend named Todd Johnson. He goes to the gathering. He and his wife, Ravonda, and and their girl, they come to the gathering, and they've been here for just over a year now, and our staff has grown to love this family, and just for so many different reasons. They've joined the Dream Team. Todd serves with greeters uh, at nine o'clock, and Serves so very well right outside of those doors. His wife, Ravonda, serves faithlessly in and, and G-Kids, and she helps with our curriculum. And They've joined life groups, and man, we just admire this family. Todd got a shout-out a few weeks ago by Pastor John Mark. You may remember, and, and I just, I'm just convinced he couldn't have enough shout-outs. I've been getting to know Todd over the last year, and, and I've, I've heard his story. He gave me permission to share a little bit of it with you. In 2013, Todd was not feeling well. His health was down and he began to stumble. He didn't know why he was having trouble walking and he couldn't stay up on his feet. And so he went to the doctor. The doctor said, you got an inner ear infection. Todd said, that's great, man. That's good news, actually, because I was falling over. And uh, the medicine kicks in. And it begins to work. And then Paul's eyesight begins to go and he's blind. He can't see. So he goes to an eye doctor. He's scared. And the eye doctor says, you know what? I don't I don't know what's going on here. It's not it's not that your eyes are we need to do some testing. So the doctors begin to dig in and they begin to try to discover what's going on with Todd and they did some more digging, they ran an MRI and they would eventually diagnose Todd with MS. And if you know Todd, nothing about his personality or demeanor would suggest that he has a chronic illness. He just doesn't, you know. He he Todd, you see him, he's got a cane. But he looks good with a cane. And you, you, you just meet the guy, and you're like, this guy, man, he's like, Todd is the kind of guy that when you meet him, you remember the time, the, the time you met Todd. I, yeah, I remember meeting Todd, and I, I remember meeting Todd. We were standing right out there on top of the stairs and I just said I need to introduce myself to this guy and and, and uh I say, what's up man my name is Robbie my name is Todd and we just begin to ask all the questions you ask somebody when you're getting to know them and he eventually led to you know he saw that I could see that he was had a cane and and, and he Todd walks a little bit slower and he just wanted to explain it to me and he just told me about his, his MS diagnosis back in 2013 and he could tell that I that I felt terrible for him the way that the way that people would and people should and and, and he could tell it made me I was feeling that way. And he made it very clear to me right then and there. Stopped the conversation. He just told me, he said, I want you to know I have this disease and I wouldn't change it for the world. I'm sitting back and I'm thinking, are you, why are you, you wouldn't? And he said, Rob, you need to understand something. I didn't know Jesus before this disease. He said, this disease put me in a place where I needed something stronger than myself. He said, so Rob, you just, you just need to understand that. This, is, this disease is the best thing that's ever happened to me, and I don't let it affect my attitude. I don't like it. I, I, don't, li- I don't like, you know, falling every now and then. I don't, I, don't, I don't like this, but I've learned to see that Jesus can use this. I'm just thinking, oh, my gosh. And Todd, Todd lives by a motto, and Todd, Todd, Todd's from Asheville. He's from, from outside of Asheville, and he just, he'll tell you, he's going to be all right. <laughs> all right, Todd, he's going to be all right. That's the way Todd talks, and he believes it. You know, he, 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 he'll tell you, hey, I may wake up tomorrow and not be able to walk. I'm not going to be excited about it, but it's going to be all right. I just think, oh my goodness, man. The, let me just say this. Todd is not the center of his own story. Jesus is. And for the record, and I think this needs to be said out loud, the same is true for Ravonda. Ravonda. Ravonda, who's dealing with this as well, I have so much respect for Ravonda because she has a heart of joy when she could choose frustration. She could choose anger. She could allow hardship to overcome the goodness of God. But what I love and respect about Todd and Ravonda and their family is that they've not allowed their situation to change their perspective. Their circumstances have never removed the goodness of God. In fact, it's highlighted the goodness of God. Listen, if there's something that you can do to change your circumstances, then then change them. But listen to me, if you can't change those circumstances, you have to learn to change your perspective. You know, you can complain and you can gripe and you can be frustrated and it it, it may be justified because some of us are, are in a dark place and nothing about today is to minimize that. But can I suggest for just a moment that complaining does not add a shred of value to the circumstances that are bringing you pain? Complaining does not relieve the burden of whatever it is you're chained to. You may know that already. Maybe you can't change it, but you can absolutely change the way that you view it, right? You can change the way that you talk about it. You can change the way that it controls you. You can tell God, God, teach me something in this season. I don't want to be here. One of the things that my wife and I have I've grown to get better and better at is that when we're in a season of tension or frustration and our marriage, maybe we're not communicating well and we're not connecting and, and there's a lot going on in our family and we're adjusting to different seasons of life. And it's just we don't we're uncomfortable. We've stopped basically just always trying to pray ourselves out of a season. Because we've discovered that it's in those seasons that God does his best work. And so the prayer that Chelsea and I have begun to pray in seasons of difficulty is, God, what are you teaching me in this season? Because we've had to shift our perspective because it's, it's, for us, it's not about getting out unscathed. It's about getting out looking more like Jesus. It's about getting out of a difficult season with our marriage healthier than it was before. We've got to change our perspective. We've got to start, stop looking to get out unscathed and, and, and set our minds to the goal of looking more like Jesus. I love how Paul tells the Philippians, he says, even if, even if I am being poured out like a wine offering, even if this is my last moment and I'm, my, my days are dwindling away, even if I am glad and I'm so rejoiced with me, because people all around are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question as we close. What is your even if? Even if I'm not happy, God is still good. You know, even if I'm not where I want to be in life, God still has a plan for me. Even if my marriage is struggling, God has a plan to restore it. Even if I'm bound up in sin, hear me, even if I'm bound up in sin, God still loves me. What is your even if? When you live with an even if mindset, you can be a light in your darkest days. Would you pray with me? God, this morning, I pray that over this congregation. I pray that over myself. God, I pray that that I can begin to view my life, the moment's of discomfort, God, through the lens that you're working out something, that you're preparing me for something, that you've got a plan for me, that there is goodness involved in my pain. God, that there is a way out, but it's not just to pray out, it's to pray through it. God, it's to lean into you, to allow you to be the center of my life. God, I pray that we would allow you your rightful place in our life. Jesus, I pray as we go throughout this series that you'll open our eyes to to the things that we can begin to work on and investigate about ourselves and learn to look more like you in these areas, God, that we would use our words to speak life into ourselves, to speak life into others, God, to to use our words to bring life and not strip it away. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Jesus.